Here we go, a brand new edition of Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. How you doing, everybody? Steve Cashel, your Chicago Bulls radio host, joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, head team physician for the Chicago Bulls, one of the team physicians for the White Sox. He's a sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon for Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. How are you, Doc Cole? Doing great, Steve. Good. I want to get into it right away and talk about uh, shoulder subluxation, all right? Byron Buxton, love that name. It's like yeah. kind of a Chuck Swirsky name, Byron <laughs> Buxton. He's a twin center fielder, and he subluxed his shoulder, crashing into the outfield wall. It's some interesting video if you look up uh, cbsports.com. But my question is, what is a subluxation? So a subluxation is a partial dislocation. So you may say, well, what's a dislocation? Yep. So a dislocation is when the joint is uh, becomes dissociated. In other words, in the shoulder, which is a very inherently stable ball and socket joint, the golf ball, which is the humeral head, comes off the tee, which is the glenoid. So it literally, they're, they're not rubbing on one another. They're completely dissociated. That's what a dislocation is. And the most common cause of that would be a traumatic event where the arm is placed in a very uh, provocative position, forcefully externally rotated, and the arm is just basically levered out of the socket. Very painful, often results in a trip to the emergency room the first time, and a uh, physician uh, will have to put it back in place by pulling on it forcibly in a sedated patient. That's a full dislocation. Do the trainers, like in baseball, do they put it back Yeah, too? I mean, it, dislocations in baseball are pretty rare. We'll see them with a, a baseball player who slides with the arm out, so arm first, for example. You'll see it in football and basketball. Remember Joakim Noah? Joakim Noah dislocated his shoulder on, on – uh, on TV, so did uh, Dwayne Wade and a couple of other guys, right? So it can happen in basketball. Uh, but a subluxation is a partial dislocation. In other words, there's just enough force to move it slightly out of position, and the athlete will say, hey, I feel like my shoulder almost got out of position, uh, but it went back right it went right back in. And we've seen some of these before uh, in both MLB and in basketball. A little less of a problem. Uh, lots of times that it's sort of a, a shock and awe thing, lots of discomfort, but and the muscles around the shoulder will shut down, and then it gets better very quickly. Rarely results in the need for surgery. So that's when the shoulder doesn't completely come out of place. It's an incomplete dislocation, and it's otherwise known as a subluxation or a partial temporary dislocation goes right back into position. I got a question for you. Does a subluxation make somebody more likely to have a dislocation in the future? I think uh, I could argue that I do see patients who say, look, I felt like my shoulder used to partially come out, now it completely comes out, but there are often two different categories or ends of the spectrum for shoulder instability. So I would say not, it is not categorically true that people who have partial instability of the shoulder end up having shoulder instability to the point where the ball and socket come, become completely uh, uh, dissociated. On to our next topic here on Sports Medicine Weekly. The agenda is now set for the fourth annual Chicago Sports Summit, taking place October 2nd at the Hyatt Regency Hotel on Wacker Drive in Chicago. And Dr. Cole... It's always fun. I would have the uh, honor of uh, being one of the moderators last year. Had a great panel, and you've got it all lined up already for this year. And one of the topics I know uh, is going to be the future of sports betting. That's going to be kind of kind of one of the hot ones this year, isn't it? Well, it's you know it's a super timely uh, contemporary topic. We're seeing a lot of a frenzy of activity in the political environment in, in Illinois. Um, I, I love the topics this year. You know, each year sort of has a different theme. So this event, again, which is going to be October 2nd, uh, 2019 at the Hyatt Regency, this is the fourth annual Chicago Sports Summit. And uh, so we have, you know, four major topics. One is youth to pro athletes, how new technology is helping. 
We're also going to get the inside track by having a number of sports agents uh, on a separate panel. And then another topic, which is also very timely, which is should college athletes be paid? Uh, I love that topic. And then I think probably the most interesting one, which is why we have uh, our next guest, is going to be the future of sports betting, uh, which is something that we're all kind of learning about, but it has been absolutely in the mainstream and has huge implications uh, for our, our Chicago franchises. Frank Ignatius is the president and founder of USA Sports Gaming. He'll be one of the panelists at the fourth annual Chicago Sports Summit on October 2nd. Joins us now here on Sports Medicine Weekly. And uh, Frank, uh, first question is we appreciate you joining us. How popular do you think legalized sports betting will be in Illinois and Indiana? And what type of revenue do you think it'll be will generate? Well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to the symposium uh, um, coming up. You know, I think sports betting is going to be wildly popular in the United States in general, but especially in Midwest states like Illinois. I mean, as we know, these are fan bases that are very passionate about their teams and also passionate about gambling. And Chicago in particular is always one of the biggest feeder cities into Las Vegas. And even here at home, we keep a lot of gambling venues in, in business. So, um, you know, in terms of revenue, a lot of researchers estimate that the Illinois market, uh, when mature, will be around $700 million annually. So I think that's a, that's a big number. And uh, I actually think it's a little low. I think, um, you know, given that the video gaming terminals produce, you know, almost $2 billion dollars, I could foresee a day where, where sports betting in Illinois uh, cracks, you know, a billion, maybe even two. Yeah, I when I hear that number, I too would think it's low. Um, I think you know, look, this is like uh, a lot of these other controversial topics, like legal legalized marijuana, medical marijuana, and so forth. And you know, without getting into a political conversation at the dinner table, I would say this is one that was kind of inevitable. And you know, Illinois has a lot of distress, uh, as we all know, and. Maybe this is a way to alleviate some of that. You know, I obviously understand there's a number of sides to this and implications. What what's it going to look like? Like as a let's just say I'm a consumer or have an interest in sports betting. Like where does it get done? What are how does it differ from, for example, what happens in Vegas on routine sports events? Is it the same thing? Um, and how does you know how will how does someone actually actively participate in it? What's the plan? You know, it's a good question. The 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 Sports betting product is exactly the same as Las Vegas, but I think the big distinction for us is going to be the delivery method. Uh, I think the key to this new legalized product is the fact that it's going to be mobile. Um, Everybody, you know, these days is in tune with so many products that are available on their phones, grocery apps, ride-sharing apps, calorie counting, photos, whatever it is. That's how we live today. So even a hobby like sports betting, which not long ago, as you said, required a trip to Las Vegas, and walking into an intimidating environment and pulling out cash. And, you know, now it's as simple as downloading an app and making a deposit and, and scrolling through some options. So um, I, I think it's going to be a very uh, a product that is going to thrive because we're talking about three very powerful forces. Sports, of course, we know are very powerful. Gambling, um, you know, is, is something that's very attractive to people. But especially the third one, and that's the mobile device. I, I think it's going to be the star of this show, and I think it's going to drive a lot of novice bettors because uh, they're so familiar with, with uh, performing transactions on their phone already. 
Our guest is Frank Ignatius. He is the president and founder of USA Sports Gaming. He'll be a panelist uh, at the fourth annual Chicago Sports Summit taking place October 2nd at the Hyatt Regency Hotel on Wacker Drive. And right now we're talking about legalized sports betting in the Midwest as one of the topics in the Chicago Sports Summit Symposium is going to be the future of sports betting. You know, it's in, I think it's interesting. You know, I have younger kids and um, they're not, you know, they don't, they're, they're too young for any of this, but it's one of those things that, um, I, you just, I, I'd be curious if you could sort of synthesize down what the two, you know, how the two sides present themselves. I'm sure there's one side that says, look, this is crazy. There's no reason we should ever lower the bar to, to increase, you know, utilization of gambling. And the other side says, look, it's going to happen anyway and keep it from being black market and so forth. And let's regulate it. Where, where do you sit on this? And, you know, how do these two sides meet in the middle? That's a good question, and it's something that's very relevant. We're going through the licensing process right now uh, in Indiana for our product, Bet Indiana, and we are spending a great deal of time, a great deal of time, talking about uh, you know how do we keep this out of uh, out of the hands of people who are are under the age of 21, or problem gamblers, or people who have self-identified and 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 self-excluded themselves from casinos. So. Obviously, that becomes a challenge in the mobile environment because uh, you know it's hard to it's hard to control you know the behavior of everybody in the state. So we're we're very cognizant of it. Uh, of course, we're in the business to you know to, to supply this product, so we we believe in it. But we're also going to great lengths to make sure that we um, you know work with the with the different legislatures in each state to make sure that we we, we keep it in in the right hands and out of the wrong hands. Again, our guest is Frank Ignatius. President and founder of USA Sports Gaming. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole at Sports Medicine Weekly. Dr. Cole, I've got to get my angle here of sports medicine in this topic. Um, how do you think it might affect the trainers, the doctors, the athletes when people are betting on these games? And it's not just almost being a fan anymore, but people are going to, you know, they're going to be at the United Center and they're sure. going to be, sure. you know, uh, betting it's, on, it's on Bulls real. games and things like that. And they're going to be looking at yeah. you going, why isn't uh, yeah. such and such player in the lineup tonight? Yeah. You know, if you remember when you and I contemplated uh, how we were going to do our show, we talked about fantasy sports and, um, being a resource for injuries and recovery and return and so forth, and that's part of what we like to do. Um, I've we when I first started with the Bulls, we always had a sort of uh, an informational educational session on this topic per se, but we just had our first real mandatory the uh, session at the NBA physicians meeting recently uh, during the combine. So I had to take a thirty minute session where they presented what our responsibilities are and so forth. So. Uh, that is an interesting one, and I think that's a dynamic. I I would have to probably turn to other states that already have legalized sports betting to see how it's played out, but there's the obvious issue where we have inside information and we have to be incredibly careful about prognosticating or making projections. It's a lot like the stock market. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Someone gets out there and says inside information, you can, you, can, yeah. you can manipulate the entire market not even, you know, unintentionally. So I, we kind of already know the answers, and it might put me in a really difficult position in how I can talk about things because I'll always have to remain sensitive to this. And 
last thing you want to do is put yourself in a position where you say something and because all these things are so unpredictable. So we're already pretty careful about putting hard timelines on things, but uh, there's no question that will be increasingly relevant. And I, but we see, see some case examples. Announcers too. I remember when I first traveled with the Bulls, my first year traveling was the last Bulls championship season with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Phil Jackson. I was told by Jerry Krause, you're going to be on these flights. You're going to see guys icing. You're going to see you know, x-rays being passed around the plane and different things. you got to keep quiet, Steve. And I remember yeah. he said, you got to protect the team. That was a, one of the first things I learned from Jerry Krause. Right. You're going right. to see things you cannot see. You know, when you see things on the plane and on the buses and in the locker room, you got to yeah. keep it to yourself. No, and you see now, even with our show, we, we're always pretty careful about the specifics. And in, in fairness, you know, the, the athletes are patients first and and athletes and part of a franchise system second, right? So And they have families. Yeah. And so they're, they're you know, just like your health history, although you wear it on your sleeve, literally and figuratively, right? With on your this biceps, show. On our show. <laughs> yes. But um, we've always been really sensitive to that issue. But I think, Steve, right now, your point's a great one. And this will be a good one at the summit to talk about, to be honest, to figure out how it's going to go. I, I really look forward to this panel on October 2nd, uh, because I think it raises so many interesting, uh, highly charged issues. Another question for Frank Ignatius, our guest here on Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday. Uh, Frank, what uh, sports are the most popular among sports bettors, and what are some sports that are not typically considered a popular betting game but attract attention from bettors? Well, as you can imagine, football is still king. Uh, NFL football in particular is the top sport to bet on in the, in the USA. College football is also very popular. Um, but the fastest growing of the, of the big six right now is NBA basketball. Um, in recent wow. years, we've seen that the NBA has become a big sport for bettors. And, um, you know, now with the advent of live betting and different ways to bet, I think the, the, the fast-paced action is, is very appealing to, to bettors. Um, but just about non-typical betting sports, and uh, I think these will be the games with the most room for growth. Uh, my biggest example would be golf. Uh, a lot of bettors like to watch golf on TV and, and make bets for the day or even hole by hole. So Tiger Woods is playing in the Masters. You can make a bet on every single hole that he plays or bet on how many birdies he's going to make uh, in that day or what his total score will be. So an event like that that's already wildly popular and has huge TV ratings um, I think when you're involved in the action, it's going to make it even uh, that much more intriguing. Great stuff, Frank. We really appreciate you joining us here on Sports Medicine Weekly. Look forward to you being a panelist again at the fourth annual Chicago Sports Summit, October 2nd at the Hyatt Regency Hotel on Wacker Drive. For more information and for tickets, you can go to chicagosportsummit.com. We'll see you there, Frank. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Frank Ignatius, president and founder of USA Sports Gaming. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. It is Sports Medicine Weekly. When we come back, it's our popular Ask the Doctor segment. Stay with us here on 670 The Score. Back on this Saturday morning, Sports Medicine Weekly. And net proceeds from our show, Sports Medicine Weekly, go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the Live Active Now Dot org fund. Our producer is Shane Reardon. Our coordinating producer is Tracy Taro. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole. And time now for our Ask the Doctor segment. It's very easy for you to get involved in our show. Go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com, and on the home page, you can click underneath the picture of yours truly and Dr. Cole, and that's our Ask the Doctor link, and you can ask the doc a question. Got a good one here that's right up your alley. Brian Cole, you ready? I am. My friend tore his ACL, Dr. Cole, and his doctor was discussing ACL repair 
versus ACL reconstruction. Are these procedures the same? If not, what is the difference? So an ACL repair is something that was uh, uh, saw the light of day probably 25, 30 years ago and was tried and failed. And perhaps it had something to do with the nature of the technique. Of recent, there has been uh, an interest or resurging interest in repairing a torn ACL rather than completely reconstructing it. So uh, when we reconstruct it, we actually will take a source of collagen uh, to provide a graft, something that will replace the torn ACL. So the middle third of the patella tendon, the hamstring tendons, donor tendons, allografts, things like that can be used, right? Right. And um, so that's the typical ACL reconstruction where we ignore the tissue that's remaining and just simply bypass it and replace it with collagen. What was the old repair, by the way? Well, we would just take a literally pass some sutures in the torn ACL and then... Like sew it up. Yeah, and sew it to the bone and through a drill hole. And it didn't work very effectively. So why now? Well, there's been some new technologies available that allow us to do a, technically a better job. And we are starting to self-select tears that might be more amenable to repair rather than reconstruction under the auspices that a repaired ACL can get an athlete back in three months rather than a reconstructed ACL at six months. Now, I'm not a naysayer, but I'm one that currently is not a huge believer that this plays a primary role in the management of the ACL-torn patient. We do so incredibly well in patients who tear their ACL with reconstructions that at some point, if you have to stack a failed repair against a new reconstruction, you're looking at potentially doubling the amount of time the athlete is out. That being said, there probably are scenarios where a partial tear, for example, or a specific type of tear where the ligament tears directly off the bone might be amenable to repair. So I would argue that if a patient is out there and is looking to shorten their recovery time to get them back to sport and they're contemplating repair, that you want to go to someone who understands both sides of the decision-making and who isn't necessarily doing one or the other so they can share their experience because it is a very hot, controversial area. And to date, not a lot of people are willing to try this out on a high-level elite athlete but, you know, things over time, when you get comfortable in lower demand patients, it may get to that point. We are now, for example, doing primary repairs of the onocollateral ligament of the elbow, the Tommy John problem. Same thing. We typically reconstruct them with a graft, but now there is a movement in some high-level high elite players to actually repair it to shorten the duration of recovery time rather than reconstruct it. So I think we need to keep looking in this area. The jury's not out, but it clearly is a, uh, a, a very important topic to be discussing. I got a minute and a half left in the show. Here's our last question for our Ask the Doctor. I am bow-legged and have osteoarthritis. My doctor gave me something called an unloader brace. What exactly does this do? Yeah, so when someone is bow-legged, they transfer their forces to the inner side of their knees. So you look at them, they're literally like riding a horse, you know, Steve, you're kind of bow-legged where the knees go to the outside. And a unloader brace is a mechanical way to off to basically offload the inner side of the knee by forcing the tibia to the outside. So it's a brace called a three-point bending brace, which will help to offload the inner side of the knee so that even if an individual has arthritis, when you offload it, they have a they have less perception of the arthritic change. So, for example, for a while we had Joachim Noah, who we placed in an offloader brace, who had uh, the opposite issue where he was malaligned with the knees closer together, sort of knock-kneed, if you will, and that helps to offload the outer side of the knee. So we'll occasionally use them in high-level athletes or just people who want to remain active as a alternative to surgery. 
All right, great stuff. We're out of time for this edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Many thanks to our producer. He is Shane Reardon. Our coordinating producer is Tracy Tarr. Also want to thank David Cole for managing our website. That is sportsmedicineweekly.com. And also to our business uh, manager, Samantha Smith. Does a wonderful job for Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to our show, Sports Medicine Weekly. Up next on The Score, Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. We'll be back with you for a brand new edition of Sports Medicine Weekly next Saturday at 8 a.m. only on 670 The Score.